This is the Content Design and Delivery Podcast with Michael Toner. Each episode, Toner discusses marketing and communication strategies with business leaders, designers, and content marketers that help shine the light on successful companies and marketing ideas. If you understand just how important content design and delivery is to the overall story you and your company is trying to share with the world, then listen along to Content Design and Delivery with your host, Michael Toner. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. Uh, I am really excited to get into today's episode and want to start really by just saying thank you to everybody who has been following along, uh, listening to the podcast, watching the audiograms, commenting, sharing, and just generally uh, encouraging me to keep going. If you haven't already subscribed to the newsletter, uh, I'd ask you to go to uh, contentdesignanddelivery.com. That's contentdesignanddelivery.com. You can sign up for the newsletter, uh, subscribe to get all the transcripts, the behind the scenes interviews. And really, as I ramp up into 2021, I'm going to kind of up the ante here a little bit. I've got some exciting guests lined up and really going to make this as valuable as I possibly can for for all of you. So thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy today's episode uh, with Nathan Doyle from Scorch. Nate and I had worked together uh, probably about a year and a half ago. I hadn't uh, caught up with him in quite a while. So it's a really fun conversation. Uh, We get into some really cool tools. He talks about... um, some social listening tools, some new tools coming out from LinkedIn from a content and marketing perspective. And uh, I'd also encourage you guys to stick around to the end. I've got a bit of a, an Easter egg uh, right at the, the end uh, as the episode finishes up. So uh, let's go ahead and, and get into it with uh, Nathan Doyle from Scorch. Enjoy. All right, welcome back, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Content Design and Delivery Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Toner, and I'm joined today with a really fun guest. This is Nathan Doyle, the Associate Creative Director at Scorch. Nathan, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. If you could please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and your role as the Associate Creative Director at Scorch. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Nathan Doyle. I've been at Scorch for a little over five years now. Um, Scorch is a B2B content marketing agency based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and as an ACD, um, I was having this conversation with a colleague of mine the other day, actually, and they were describing the ACD role as just kind of one of the hardest jobs in an agency environment because you kind of just do everything. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I've branded myself and how I've kind of always found my, my, uh, place in my working environment is being like that utility jack of all trades sort of thing. Um, so I primarily, I'm primarily responsible for copy and strategy. Um, that's, that is my, my strong suit. That's my background. That's what I get really excited about. Um, but I step in, in pitches and client engagements. I step in, in design direction and giving kind of that ideation towards where we need to take things. Um, I jump in and basically grab an oar wherever I can. Very nice. Yeah, we're sort of flipping the script here. Uh, when, when you and I first worked together some probably more than a year ago, maybe 18 months, we mm-hmm. were working on a long form written content project and you were the one conducting the interviews. Uh, I think at the time, I don't know if it was just over the phone or Zoom, but I think um, we were... I think we did it on blue jeans. Yeah, that's I feel right. like it was blue jeans. Probably even before the pandemic, we were already using that as part of our interview. So I'm excited to talk with you. And yeah, during that particular project, we were um, you were interviewing me and my team, and I think we were trying to create really what became a transcribed conversation. You were asking us these questions about content marketing, marketing in general, and really helping us to form a narrative. I guess my question to you off the bat is. 
what does Scorch's content creation process look like for you normally? And mm -hmm. what does it look like now? Uh, was my experience a typical framework for how you all go about creating content? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think your, your experience is very consistent with how you want to do it. Um, and I had the privilege of working with some great subject matter experts on that project, like yourself and Serena, um, as we were kind of going through the process of figuring out, okay, how are we promoting this interactive press release experience? Like what's the, uh, the, not just the narrative there, but what's the kind of the hook or the, um, the interest level for the audience. And I think that the way that I like to think about it and the way that we kind of tend to execute on, uh, execute on these sort of projects at Scorch is by thinking about things from a kind of like almost method writing approach. Um, if you're, if you're familiar with theater or whatever, it's that, that idea of being able to empathize with the person that you're, that you're communicating with, trying to understand the motivations, the pain points, the interests, the philosophies, the beliefs of the person that you're trying to connect with. Um, and so in that case, we're looking at, okay, how do we connect with public relations teams inside existing operations? So these are folks that are underrepresented at the table. These are folks that are regularly out overshadowed by marketing and sales when it comes to tools and investment and priority. Um, these are organizations that offer a lot of value when they have a seat at the table, but are regularly fighting for a seat at the table. So how do we empathize with that aspiration, that frustration, uh, while still providing really, really relevant, really practical advice for what you can learn from this point and what you can take from this thing over here to propel your personal and organizational ambitions. Yeah, that's great. And uh, and I did um, take some theater classes in high school and college. And to hear you sort of describe that now, um, in retrospect, I'm sort of thinking back that you really did immerse yourself in our team. In fact, you really felt like a partner. And I don't mean that as a you know, I wouldn't make that kind of a compliment, but you truly were invested, I think, in helping us to tell that narrative, feeling our own pain and in, in what we were trying to communicate, uh, but also from the audience's perspective, you know, what you felt like was going to resonate with them. So it's good to know that that was a, a typical framework. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe a couple follow-up questions just within Scorch. So you, you mentioned wearing a lot of hats and, and picking up on how the team at Scorch is structured, uh, specifically thinking about that content creation process. So, you know, I recall that during that project you were conducting interviews, but is there somebody uh, focused on going through the transcript, pulling out the hooks, writing back mm -hmm. a creative brief? Uh, talk me through how the team is structured. Um, that, that all, we're, we're a relatively small team. Um, we've been anywhere from, in the time that I've been there, we've been anywhere from 12 to 50 people. And it's kind of scaled accordingly with, uh, with other, um, stressors, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, and so that's always kind of fallen on the person creating the project, right? So for example, on ours, I did the interview, I did the transcriptions, I wrote the final piece. Um, I worked with my uh, director and your team to build out the strategies that kind of spoke to what everybody wanted to, to bring to life. Um, and then I passed that over to our creative team, our design team. And so they kind of went through and add whatever key images or uh, for doing for example, a, a full ebook or something like that, they would do layout and design um, and kind of align their vision with the campaign themes that we kind of flesh out in the early stages to bring all of that to life. Yeah, and it, it really did come to life. Um, you know, I know I asked this even as we were kind of getting through your normal content creation process, we were talking about we were using blue jeans and doing the interviews, but what does that process look like over the last nine months? And I will call back to 
you know, during that time when, when we were doing those interviews with me and my team, I remember your daughter, mm -hmm. uh, I think was in the room. This was pre COVID yep. and, and you were anxious about her making noise and uh, kind of forewarning us that she might run through the background. And, and I'm a dad too. I've got two little ones and they've been at home a lot uh, during the last nine months. Uh, and I get it. You know, everybody has experienced the overall fidelity change, the expectation that that kind of thing is normal. Yeah, uh, it's not a big deal. You know, so so what does the setup process uh, setup look like now, and and how has the content creation process changed? Yeah, sure. So um, for me, it's changed in a lot of really significant ways. Um, the first of which is that we had another child during the pandemic. Congrats. Um, Thank you. So now I have a five-year-old and a three-month-old, uh, which is a very, very different dynamic. Yes. Um, yes, I'm constantly tired, but that's just a state of mind at this point. Um, so there's that. The The first thing that we did whenever it became clear that this was going to be, we're going to be in this situation for a while, was get me a space. Um, I don't know if you remember our interview or not, but I took I did that one from my kitchen table um, while my daughter was playing in the other room. Um, now I have an entire room. I have like 50 square feet of just me, which is great. Um, but it's also really great for having calls like this, um, and for just sitting down and grinding through work. Um, that doesn't say it mean that my daughter still won't come barreling through this door over here on the right, but at the same time, like, it's just a fact of life at this point. Um, the other day I was on a call and my daughter came running here butt-ass naked in the middle of the call. And I apologize if I should say that on your podcast uh, because she just gone to the bathroom. And I was like, okay. And I had the camera. Yeah, that's like, I'm in the middle of this presentation, but this situation won't take care of itself either. And that's just the world we're in. And that's like, we're at a point where, that is accepted and normal and people empathize with it. It's again, circling back to what I was talking about earlier. Uh, it almost kind of endures you to people because it reminds you that the professional that you're working with is also a person and a parent and a father and a child. And they have other things that are realistically probably way more important than whatever this is that you and I are doing yeah, going wow. on in their life, but they're still taking time to give it back to you. Wow. I, I mean, I, I really want to unpack some of that because this is, this has really come up in every single one of these conversations that I've had over the last two or three months. And, you know, I, I probably talked about this back in September. I was, when I was really gearing up to start having these conversations, I knew I wanted to talk with creative people. Um, I miss talking to strangers. Yeah. Uh, I'm an extrovert by nature. I talk to people in the elevator. I strike up conversations with people in the lobby, in the lunchroom, wherever. I just enjoy these kinds of interactions. So when I started to really see over the last uh, two or three months, for me anyways, what, what I was calling this rehumanization of the web, you know, I remember Twitter back in 2010 where you could uh, just tweet somebody and you could have a conversation and a dialogue. And some of that went away during yeah. uh, paid social. I think it was John Newman who I had on from the Hodges Partnership talked about how paid really ruined a lot of uh, the authenticity that came from social, really the, the marketers ruined it. Um, and now I think you're right. I think because we've all been forced into these virtual interactions, you know, I'm on zoom with people who maybe they haven't showered or they're not wearing a suit or, you know, I'm seeing the background of their house and their kids and their, their real life. And there's really something, um, uh, unique about that. It's just, it's just the human connection is as much as we can have it right now. So it's, uh, it's really nice to talk with you and just kind of be able to share in the, in the like-minded conversation. Um, this is still, it's, it's fun for me, something which I, I know I told you earlier, this is just 
the whole show has really been um, a lot of fun. So uh, anyway, I want to shift gears and kind of stay on the content marketing side of things. Um, I found a blog post that you wrote from 2016 about how content marketing is like having a baby. So we're maybe the common thread here. We're talking about kids and, and being a dad. It, it's kind of messy. I think that was your main point. It's messy. Uh, everyone has advice for you. They're, they're going to uh, tell you how to do it, what you know, what to do, uh, what not to do, what to expect, all this stuff. But at the end, I think the punchline in that blog post was, was it worth it? Uh, so my question to you uh, is, is what makes it worth it? How is content marketing yeah. worth it? Sure. So I think um, it, it ties back into kind of the thing that you're talking about right now is that you're doing this podcast because you love it, because you miss engaging with people and talking to people and building those connections and just talking to people that you don't know very well and learning more things about them, right? And that's what I love about content is when people start doing it because they want to do it. Um, and not because they have a, a thing that they want to promote or because they have a, a higher uh, agenda for their, their marketing uh, campaigns or whatever, but because they are passionate about the subject matter and they want to share that passion with other people. Um, so for forever ago, um, I started getting paid to write and market for people um, as like a content specialist. Uh, I've worked with an organization called Thought Leadership Leverage. Um, that works with thought leaders and public speakers to take their platform and um, repurpose it, essentially compartmentalize it into training materials or additional content assets and just kind of build their personal brand. Um, and one of the, the guys that we worked with um, kind of really doubled down on the kind of trusted advisor mindset. And I've really kind of carried that around when I think about content a lot, where it's this concept like, when you think about trust, how do you build trust? Um, you don't build trust by manipulating a situation. You build trust by earning it. You build trust by walking into a scenario and doing the right thing, regardless of how it impacts you or regardless of how it uh, may shake out in the long run. And that authenticity, that willingness to take risks and that willingness to be a little bit vulnerable builds trust with the people that you're working with and the people that you're targeting. And so when it comes to content, if you're able to put out things that actually have value, that add value to the customer uh, for the sake of adding adding value to the customer, then when it comes time, you're going to build that goodwill. You're going to build that trust. And if they have to, especially if you're a higher budget um, service or offering, when it comes time for them to make that decision, they're going to know, hey, I can rely on these guys to provide me good counsel and good insight um, and to take care of not just me and my needs, but what they say they're going to do. Yeah, be, um, because so, uh, you, you earn yeah. it, right? Because in the form of content, you've you've earned that trust in order to have them arrive at that conclusion. Yeah, you've demonstrated that expertise in a way that, that is excited and that's passionate and that shows like, hey, they know what they're talking about and they want to be here and they would be doing this even if I wasn't part of this conversation. Um, and so that ability to kind of authentically jump into something um, and see it develop and kind of let it uh, and foster it into its kind of maturity is something that I absolutely love about content and about being a dad for that matter. Um, but there's also, there's also this like misnomer about like, I, I feel like people tend to get this field of dreams mindset about content where like, if you build it, it will come or people will come and that's not the case in the same way that like, 
yeah, I have, a, I have two kids and I can leave them alone and not be a present parent and they'll grow up and they'll go on and do them whatever it is that they're going to do, but that's not going to be the best version of them. It's not what I want for our relationship. It's not what I want for the content that I create. So like you have to do that groundwork of, okay, if this is the big piece of content that I want, I have to be the person engaging. I have to be involved in conversations. I have to pay attention to what people are are concerned about and interested in and, and that kind of resonate with their needs and be a be available and willing to engage with them on that to foster that brand share, that mind share and brand awareness and drive towards that final conversation in a way that doesn't feel forced. Yeah, so much of it is about the story, uh, the story arc, kind of bringing it back to that theater mindset that you've got to have a, a beginning, middle and end. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think sometimes that maybe what you're getting at there is you have to uh, start with the end in mind. And, and it's not exactly what I mean, but you have to move through it in a linear fashion. And I'm sure when you're working with brands, sometimes finding the starting point is the hardest part. So like they say, the starting is, is the hardest part. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you just, you just have to start, even though you don't know exactly where it's going to take you, uh, you're going to adjust and adapt to all of those things and uh, you'll f figure it mm -hmm. out. Have you, have, have you followed or are you familiar with Donald Miller at all? No, not. Okay, so um, Donna Miller is the author of a bunch of books. Um, this is probably most known for a book called Blue Like Jazz. Um, but he went on and started a kind of like a marketing branding agency. I think he's in Nashville called StoryBrand. Um, and his, his entire kind of thought leadership platform is built around using the um, kind of the hero's journey, that hero with a thousand faces framework. Um, to build brand narratives. Um, and so it's this idea of in any story that I, as a company, am trying to tell, I am never the hero of that story. I am not the hero of my own story. My customer is the hero of my of their own story. I'm the, um, I'm the Dumbledore stepping in to help Harry figure out and learn. I'm the Obi-Wan Kenobi giving Luke Skywalker a lightsaber so he can go take down the Empire. I'm the the person who knows what's going on stepping into the situation to empower the person with the actual goals that's going to go off and conquer whatever it is. And so that's kind of the, the, the mindset that I like to try to think through of, again, this isn't about me. This is about you and what we can accomplish together. Yeah. Well, in this case too, I also want to highlight your story. Um, and, you know, just thinking about everything that has happened over the last nine months and thinking about how brands step in to, to tell authentic stories, um, you know, and, and you were talking about folks who do it because they love it. I'll, I'll bring the question all the way back around to um, what types of messages, what types of marketing campaigns are breaking through for you right now? Do you have any good examples of things, you know, are really hitting the mark from a marketing or branding or content marketing uh, brands that are telling a great story right now in 2020? I, I, I love this question um, because I, so I'm a massive nerd um, and always have been. And so like my, my knee jerk reaction to that is wizards of the coast. Okay. Um, and I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but this is the brand that no. owns uh, both met the magic, the gathering card game and dungeons and dragons, the role-playing tabletop game. Okay. Um, and what I love about wizards of the coast is that they've kind of taken Number one, they've created a engagement model where they can create content on an annual basis and use it to amplify the their customers' experience of their product. Um, 
And so there's always a demand for what they create and there's always a audience for what they create. And that audience with the street or with the boom of streaming and um, online tabletop experiences and things like that has, has boomed um, exponentially in the past, probably three, four years. Um, And what Wizards of the Coast has done has really leaned into that growth and that boom to empower uh, their customers with products that speak to the way they want to play the games. Um, so they've started creating a lot more uh, digital supplements. They've started expanding into virtual tabletop experiences and started kind of augmenting the way that they create and dispatch and deliver content so that it is available to their audience no matter how they want to experience it, whether that's in person or online or however else you want to play. Um, and so it creates this um, kind of ongoing community engagement funnel of, hey, um, here's what you want. Here's some, something else that's coming, and we'll give it to you exactly how you want it. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, first, I did not realize that there was a, a parent company there behind Dungeons and & Dragons and, and Magic the Gathering. So that's pretty interesting for me. Um, but yeah, you, you said they sort of created this framework, this repeatable framework to have annual content. And the real takeaway for me in that is, um, something I've seen when brands are telling really good stories, oftentimes it is with this ability to keep telling the story, that uh, there's a method for the story to continue. They've kind of built this runway into the story that they're telling. Um, and so I really, uh, that, that resonates with me. And, and don't apologize for playing Dungeons and Dragons or, or being a big nerd. I know uh, Ankarino Lara, one of my first guests, he's a, he's a big fan. So if he's listening, uh, you're, you're not the only one. Um, I'll kind of bring things back around to maybe an example you have of um, when when marketers or communicators start to package up that story and they turn it into, um, you know, creative and they turn it over to the designers and they layer all that that in and bring it all together. Do you have any examples of, of when they've done it effectively? Sure, sure. Um, I don't know if so much if I have a specific like example that I either have or that I'm directly willing to throw out there. Um, but um, I know in my experience, the, the, the campaigns that I've worked on that have been the most successful, um, that have kind of managed to avoid that trap, are the ones where I connected with the design team on almost day one. Um, the, the best outcomes that I've seen are the ones where I'm able to align really, really early and I'm able to work in tandem with the, 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 the designer to kind of put that vision together. So it's not just my idea coming to life. It's our idea that we're able to cooperatively represent throughout the process. Um, and so that by the time the, the, by the time that my words end up on their desk, there's no surprises there. There's no um, weird overlap or anything like that. And that's the kind of what I've been really priding myself in as a ACD at an agency is being that bridge between both uh, both sides of the organization and saying like, okay, um, so this is what the narrative is kind of feeling like from a from a uh, copy perspective. How do we represent that in a way that feels authentic and on point from a design perspective to create this whole um, inclusive creative experience? Um, and so that's a, that's that's a matter of getting all the right people in the room early on. Uh, it's a matter of understanding your medium uh, and i'm sure we'll probably talk about this a little bit more but the um the platform that you're delivering this message in is it are you are you using the right one um for a while there we had like i've, I've talked to people that 
um, are trying to like figure out all these new LinkedIn uh, advertising platforms. Like LinkedIn just started doing conversation ads, which I'm pumped about. Yeah. Um, it's like a chatbot within LinkedIn messages, right? Yeah, essentially. Um, and like, like you can't use a conversation ad like you would an in-mail. Um, it's, I've, I've yeah. like experiment, we've experimented with like treating conversation ads like in mail with multiple CTAs and that just muddies the waters. It's not exact, not how that's supposed to be used at all. Um, and so identifying who needs to be involved and how they need to be represented early on goes a long way to helping stick the landing on the back end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to talk about the channels too. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I actually met with LinkedIn yesterday to talk about conversation ads. So it's kind of interesting that you bring it up. You know, it's a, it's a brand new platform. And one of the questions I had for them was exactly that. Um, how is this different than in mail? And, you know, are they expecting that these conversations are coming from a digital marketing person or a, a salesperson as opposed to the brand? And I'll take that question and, and, sort of draw a through line all the way back to what we were just talking about, which is there's individuals are at, are at home. Everyone's connecting virtually. Everything is, um, is happening like this. And marketing is sort of taking a, a, a back seat to the individual's ability to connect with customers. And I think that's really where LinkedIn uh, really shines um, using inbox and literally having conversations with individuals, with real people, not with brands. And I think that's where they're, they're going to see a lot of success. And um, I think seeing like the head of product messaging showing up in my inbox and, and getting in front of an individual is going to be more important than, than the brand. Um, so, you know, I guess, I guess the question is what's, what's your hot take on the, on the new launch here from LinkedIn? So I want to, I want to unpack that for a second because I think there's so much in what you just described that I kind of love. Um, and I mean that specifically in the, like the individual over the brand, right. Or the brand of the individual over the brand of the company. Um, because it's not just on LinkedIn. It's not just a professional thing. Like think about the NBA and it, it, I mean, it started in the nineties with Michael Jordan, but now you've got folks that like folks are fans of LeBron James. They're not fans of the Lakers. Um, and you yeah, and you see it in like I'm a huge I, I love baseball, and you look at like players like Trevor Bauer who just won a Cy Young and is going to get signed anywhere for probably not nearly as much as he's probably do, um, but he spends a lot of time building a personal brand, and that's that's very much where the market is at at this point. Tom Brady did it in the NFL, like it's individuals and then the groups that they represent are kind of secondary you see with harry styles right now from a music perspective or Haley williams like people care about individuals because they connect with individuals because individuals have experiences because you can empathize with individuals uh to, to bring that back again and so like translating that into the the conversation ads and the the linkedin narrative like there's definitely that opportunity to speak more relevantly um, to people and to um, encourage connection there. Um, and what I, what I like about conversation ads specifically is that it's number one, like dials back a little bit of that, of that pretense. Like I think a lot of the time, whenever you're building an email or an email or like some sort of direct message, um, there's this expert expectation that you need to be really, really buttoned up and that you need to have your kind of corporate pants on, um, which I hate most of the time. 
Um, and then, but with conversation ads, number one, it's designed to be short and punchy and snappy. And so you can kind of loosen up your tie a little bit and jump in there and be a little bit more relaxed when you're writing copy for it. Um, and number two, it puts control in the hands of the person that you're trying to connect to. Um, it's, hey, I'm, I'm here to talk to you about my agency. Um, if you'd like to connect here, you can click on this link and we'll, it'll connect a line directly to me. Or if you want to learn more, you can click on this ebook and go back. Like it's designed to engage an audience at their level of interest and expectation. Um, so you can get a little bit more utility out of it while still giving yourself a little bit of breathing room and letting your hair down a touch. Yeah, I think that's um, sort of the theme here uh, from a business perspective with regards to 2020. It's exactly what we were talking about earlier, this kind of authenticity that's coming through and LinkedIn is is positioning this perfectly, mm -hmm. I think, because it does let you be a little more casual in the interaction, just like you uh, pre-COVID could walk into an event and meet people that you don't know. And it's not like you're having to uh, put on a big presentation and put on a suit and tie and speak from the stage. It's just walking up to somebody and seeing if they're interested. Let's chat. Okay. Sounds good. Um, it's just a, a little bit more casual. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the tools, I know we kind of went down a little bit of a rabbit hole there with LinkedIn, but are there any other tools and technologies, any new platforms like that? Anything that's catching your attention right now uh, in the content world? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are are two things that I'm I'm really jazzed on right now. Um, so the first one is uh, Rand Fishkin's Parktoro. Um, so if you know Rand, he's the guy who built out Moz and he's he's built out his own thing. Uh, but Sparktoro is um, built to help uh, marketers kind of identify the influencers in a space. That's kind of the 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 value prop of the way it's built out. Um, and so I can jump onto SparkToro and type in, um, I'm interested in understanding my, an audience that frequently talks about public relations. And that'll break down a list of like, okay, most people who talk frequently about, about public relations follow these three names and a smaller population follow these three names, but these three names are, are rising in the conversation. They regularly link to these websites. They regularly um, drive back to these podcasts or these YouTube channels. And so it just gives you a, a, a really holistic view of what's trending in topics that I care about. Um, and it, you can search it by like, um, people use these terms in their bios or however you kind of, what, whatever is interesting to you in that space. Um, and I'm guessing it's using the social graph. Yeah. It's, you yeah. Said it's called SparkToro. SparkToro. Yeah. And, and it's um, just reading these profiles and, and learning mm -hmm. what people are tweeting about and making these connections. Yep. And it's great for like measuring trends, like just being able to jump in and say, okay, most, a lot of people are just searching back to this website. What's this website talking about? And so I can identify like, okay, right now, um, people in the healthcare space are really interested in telehealth, um, and figuring out how they build out a more, um, robust and secure remote environment to promote telehealth in a safe and secure, secure manner, something like that. Um, and so it's, 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 I, I like it a lot. Um, it's relatively new, um, for, by, by the internet standards, I guess. Um, but it's, it's definitely uh, made a significant impact in the way that I build campaigns and the way I think about campaigns. So that's been super helpful for me. Um, um I want to ask, uh, one sure. more, one more question. Um, is it the kind of thing that then you're using that research to, uh, 
personalized campaigns to really make this one-to-one connection? I'll bring it back to the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, is that how you're using it? Yeah, I mean, you definitely can. Um, I think that's uh, that's definitely a a use case that they would promote and that I would absolutely encourage. I've not used it for that myself yet, um, but I, I like the thinking there because I think that would make a really yeah. good approach there. So what was the second tool? Um, so the other one is actually a, a sophomore platform that we've kind of partnered with at Scorch called Ping Pilot. Um, and Ping Pilot is designed to serve as kind of like an omni-channel communication platform. Um, and so essentially, um, you, have to, you create a hyperlink and you can just drop that piece, that hyperlink into a piece of content. And so at the end of, say at the end of our blog post, um, I drop this hyperlink at the end of, uh, at the end of the post that we write. And it says, hey, if you want to learn more about how you can bring interactive press releases to your organization, click here and we'll get and we'll get in touch. Um, and instead of that CTA driving to like a lead form or to a, um, a sales uh, lead or sending an email through, it's actually kind of operates as a direct contact URL. And so it opens up and it has an option to contact somebody via voice or via chat or via text or via email, and then it connects you immediately to the qualified expert on the other side. And what was it called again? What was the name it's of it? called PingPilot. Okay. You can check it out. It's pingpilot.com. Yeah, I'm definitely going to uh, to check it out, dig in. I'm I am a, uh, I'm a nerd and, and a technologist when it comes to those kinds of things. So the first thing I want to try to figure out is how they figured out how to use a single URL to capture kind of multiple yeah. endpoints. Um, and, um, you know, do you have any idea how they, how they solve that from a technology perspective? Yeah, they did a lot of work with, and I'm going to completely butcher this, uh, because I'm not a technical, uh, I'm not, I'm not a developer by any means. Um, I know they did a lot of work with like Jira Service Desk um, and Atlassian to kind of piece those things together. Um, but it's it's they they patented the, the entire like connection process, so it's a a uh, a unique proprietary um, software essentially. Um, but, yeah, thank you for for sharing. It's um, it's interesting, mm-hmm. um, you know, just the fact they were able to figure it out. They they are yeah. Yeah, the team's been doing it for four years now, I think, or they started building it probably even longer than that. Um, but it's starting to to get some solid ground. But it's really designed to kind of cater to that to that right now mindset, like um, the the Amazon one click purchase narrative, um, and the kind of experience we've all had here in quarantine of like, okay, and this is the thing that I'm using to suppress my seasonal depression right now. Bye yeah. and bye. Um, <laughs> sort of like the next shiny object. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so it's designed to kind of cater that that immediate gratification um, experience that customers really demand in a lot of places to get them the information that they need. Just so just like imagine you're not having to sit on the phone with Charter trying to get your internet fixed and you can instead talk to the same person consistently. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, that is uh, having that single destination. It just um, the marketer in me goes to me. There's probably a lot of data and analytics behind that. And this is definitely a topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to to get into with you uh, from a reporting analytics and and measurement perspective. I guess the question really is, what are your clients asking for? Uh, what are you able to provide back in terms of mm-hmm. guidance of what they should be measuring and and really do the two align? And uh, so really, it starts with what are you all measuring today? Yeah, so it's consistently we I guess it's it's twofold here, right? Um, we consistently end up landing on kind of engagement rate and click through rate at this point. Um, that seems to be the most like consistent indicators of what we're trying to engage with 
um, time spent on page is always helpful as well. But um, the biggest challenge for us is actually like consistently getting that data. Um, sure. Yeah. Probably like the, because it sits on the, on the client side. Right. Right. And especially for us, like a lot of our, our clients are these huge B2B tech enterprises. Um, so we do a lot of work with LinkedIn. We do a lot of work with Microsoft. We do a lot of work um, kind of in that, that startup space. So these are all folks that have their own internal analysts and these are their own internal uh, proprietary software processes. And so our, our value point really comes in at the very beginning and saying like, okay, you want to build engagement with this. You want people to understand that, hey, uh, Microsoft Surface is a great asset for the diverse needs of a modern healthcare environment. Okay, cool. So how do we position that narrative and how do we position it to capitalize on those ambitions? Um, and we can track that in your engagement rates and your click-through rates. And, and I, I hate to say like, oh, like it's not impressions because impressions, I feel like it's a really empty metric most of the time. Um, but being able to kind of spread that net. Yeah. And, and I really like where you went with that too, which is, is something I've talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, for years. Um, and I've, I've spoken a lot about, uh, especially because I work with a lot of PR agencies or, or more on the communication space, but the fact that marketing has really dominated the world of reporting and analytics. And uh, part of that is is needing to teach and, and educate uh, folks that sort of sit on the, the more PR and, and communication side of the world that you've got to go into these campaigns um, from a digital marketing perspective, knowing what it is you're trying to get out of it uh, in order to set up the infrastructure, in order to set up the campaigns and the tracking parameters and have the cookies placed where you need them. Um, you're going to need to know what it is you want to get out of that data. And then using the data as a key performance indicator, you know, what is it you're going to measure and, and what is it you want to show? Otherwise, you find yourself at the end of the campaign just grasping at, at any metric you can possibly get. And then, you know, somewhere along the lines, you sort of lose sight of what it is you set out to accomplish in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that comes down with, I think that comes down to like two things, right? It's, it's understanding your goals for the campaign on one end and on the other end, it's making sure that the the stakeholders, the people that you're trying to approve and trying or trying to get approval from and trying to impress, understand what those metrics do. Um, like I mentioned, um, impressions earlier. Like impressions, you can do millions and millions and millions of impressions, and it looks really impressive. But it doesn't if you don't if you know that impressions are a reflection of spend, and so the more money you bump into a campaign, the more impressions you're likely going to get. It, 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 that doesn't hold any value. It doesn't. It doesn't um, translate the way you want it to. But it still looks fancy. It's just vanity. Yeah, and, and you don't want to get caught up in in those kind of vanity metrics. Um, I, I want to start to round, round things out here. And and one of the things I know um, about your background is that you spent some time as a teacher uh, at the University of mm -hmm. Missouri St. Louis. And uh, I want to know, you know, from a teacher's perspective. Um, you know, what did you, what did you learn to bring into uh, the world of content marketing as a spending some time as a professor? Yeah, sure. Sure. So I taught in from 2011 to 2013 um, as part of my MFA. I have a, I have a poetry MFA. Um, and so I'd use that to, to get into the, the empathy element and become a marketer um, because it pays a whole lot better than trying to write for a living does. Yeah. Um, but so as, as part of that program, I taught a lot of like intro to college writing style courses. Um, and I also taught a 
like a literary magazine publication course. Um, and so in those, in the like English 1100 style classes, that's, that's your comp 101. That is how to be succinct, um, how to make an argument, how to be a good writer and to kind of lay that foundation for everything else you're going to be doing throughout your college experience. Um, and that one, I think my, my mindset is kind of twofold. Um, there's that number one, that like Anne Hanley, everyone writes sort of approach. Um, the, the thing that I really tried to emphasize in those classes were like, Hey, I don't care if you think you're a bad writer, like you can still do this. Um, and you might not feel super confident in what you're doing, but that's just because you haven't found what you're doing yet. Um, I'm a big proponent in just like your narrative voice as a, as a writer and as a person, like, um, and I'm a big proponent in that, like everyone has their, their strengths. Um, this, this kind of like uh, pedagogy mindset of like, there aren't dumb people. There aren't people that don't, that aren't smart. It's just, we're all, we all take our intelligence. We apply it in different places. Um, I'm, I'm great with a keyboard and a pen. I'm super mediocre with a wrench. Um, I'm, I'm not mechanically minded at all. Um, I'm, I'm and in the same way, like some of my best friends are like dyslexic and can't like, can't write out their thoughts super well but I put a socket wrench in their hand and they can fix my car like that. And so like being able to identify um, the strengths of people and of uh, my students and at this point, like coworkers and being able to kind of like um, empower them to succeed in places they don't realize they can um, is, is super huge to that uh, from a, from an organizational leadership perspective. Um, but from a, um, content creations perspective and kind of linking the, the two across. Um, I think there's a big piece of just scaffolding um, when it comes to how you build a, a narrative. Um, and by scaffolding, I don't know how familiar you or the audience is going to be with this, but it's this idea of like laying the foundational knowledge, um, building up everything along the sides of what you're trying to, to um, get across so that by the time you get there, everyone has all the necessary information that they need to succeed. Um, you have to understand what the cloud is before you can try to sell someone on why the cloud is important. I, like I love that you went to this leadership organizational development mentality. Uh, it speaks volumes for, for you and, and, and your mentality as a, as a teacher and trying to pull out the strengths from, from those around you. Um, it's also something I know uh, as a storyteller that, that I got to experience firsthand in working with you and your ability to pull out those stories from those around you and, and, and those that you were interviewing and really build that scaffolding uh, to fill in the rest of the narrative. Um, and generally, I'm, I'm a big proponent of the strength-based uh, movement, uh, Marcus Buckingham, where you know really everybody has those strengths and doubling down on them uh, is, is so important from a leadership perspective. And uh, I guess the other through line there, I, I, I'll admit that I took a poetry class in college, which I still think about uh, more often than I truly care to admit, but it is the single class I can point to that taught me uh, the importance of concrete imagery. And when you're going to write and you want to tell a story, you've got to talk about the colors and the smells and uh, really uh, help people feel the emotion that, that those things create. So, uh, yeah, it's fascinating to hear that you, you have an MFA in, in poetry and how you apply that to working in content creation. Um, so, so I guess this is sort of my final question is, how did you navigate from starting out in, in, 
uh, as an English instructor, you said content marketing pays well, but uh, what was your career path into this content marketing world? Yeah, so um, so I've always been a writer. That is that has been my thing. Um, like the first paycheck I ever got was for a freelance gig that I did for a heavy metal magazine when I was 15. Um, I have it framed in my basement right now. Um, but so like I, I always wrote for my high school newspaper and like newsletters for like my youth group at church growing up. And like, I've always been someone who, who's relied on being able to express ideas, um, effectively through written communication. Um, and so when I got to college, I spent two years taking gen eds because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and settled on a communication degree because um, I figure I can take this and I can plug it into a couple different spaces. Um, and I was still writing. I loved my creative writing classes. I graduated and had no idea what I was going to do and what I wanted to do. So I, I continued to, I got my, I went into grad school thinking like, okay, I can kind of stretch this out a little bit. I can do something I still enjoy and I'm passionate about um, and find a place where it makes sense. Um, and during grad school, I was teaching and I was bartending. And while I was bartending, I met a guy named Bill Sherman. Um, Bill is the COO of the organization I mentioned earlier, Thought Leadership Leverage. Um, and he has, uh, he, they primarily work again as consultants um, and it's kind of like content consultants. And Bill has a background in theater. His, his um, college degree is he has a theater degree, um, but he learned a lot of those, those human connection narratives, those, um, listening skills and those presentation skills and those critical thinking skills through things like script analysis. Um, and so he and I had a lot of conversations on just like what I was doing, what he was doing, what we're trying to accomplish. And at one point he's just like, Hey, do you ever think about freelancing for people? Like, do you ever want to write for people? Um, and I was like, you know, as a matter of fact, yes, I would, I would love that. And so, um, I ended up working with him for about two years, um, in a, in a, a content specialist capacity, um, and did that for a while, um, did some additional freelancing for a while. Um, and then when we got pregnant with our, with my oldest, uh, was when I decided, okay, I need to transition into like the agency rhythm to bring up something a little bit more consistent. Um, and so that's, that's kind of been my racket as of late is uh the agency life i've been freelancing a little bit more recently um but being able to kind of do both has been really great well i want to say thank you so much it has been it's been fascinating uh, to get to know you and, and your background and your your interest in the arts and theater and poetry and how you bring all of that into your storytelling work uh, so thank you so much nathan doyle associate creative director at scorch thank you again for for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure to sit down and chat with you. Um, I'd love to do it again and ask you some more questions. All right. Thank you all for, for sticking through uh, the episode. I know I promised an Easter egg at the end. And for those of you fast forwarding, I see you. Um, no, just kidding. I, uh, the, the Easter egg is, is kind of a silly one. I just thought it was worth sharing in case you noticed anything weird as you were listening through um, this is the first episode where I used a different tool I'd, uh, to record the podcast. I had previously been using Zoom uh, as a webinar and ripping the audio out of the Zoom meeting. 
And for this podcast, I decided to use a tool called Riverside FM. And I had sent the link to Nathan about five minutes before we recorded. I had never used the tool before. And unfortunately, I changed my audio input moments before logging in. And having not tested Riverside's platform, I found myself after the 45-minute episode was over, realizing that the entire audio track had been recorded using my laptop microphone and I'll be really honest, it sounded horrible. Uh, it was, you know, inaudible. And so uh, I've been working with a friend of mine, Jay Cole. Uh, shout out to Jay and, and Jenna for helping me produce this podcast. Um, and I told Jay, I was like, well, I'm going to attempt to re-record it. And so I'll load Nathan's track in and I will go back through and I'll transcribe it and I'll just redo my parts. It was one of those lessons. So the Easter egg here is if you could tell that the conversation was a bit fragmented, it's because it was um, the whole thing. Every piece of it, every time you heard one of us talking over one of another, um, I had to go back and re-record it so that I could get the uh, the track to sound at least halfway decent. And uh, it was a lesson for me. And I think the lesson is... I am always going to do the technical run through to make sure that I've got all the inputs and mics. I'm sure some of you can commiserate with those kinds of mistakes or, and challenges and, and I'll never do it again. And then secondly, um, you know, no, no, I don't mean any knock to Riverside. It is not their platform. This was complete user error, but uh, oftentimes just sticking with what works. I really had no need to change from Zoom uh, and we'll see. I may go back to Riverside if I can test it and make sure it works, but that's the Easter egg, which is uh, what you heard back in the episode is actually stitched together audio. Um, that took me uh, a couple of days to, to go back and re-record the parts. So that's the Easter egg, and uh, hopefully it doesn't happen again. Thank you all. Bye. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to the Content Design and Delivery Podcast with Michael Toner. 